Um, like Michael said earlier, my name is Dustin Pauly and I have the privilege of being the director out at Thrive Kitsap, but I am from here. In fact, um, whenever I come and speak here, I usually have Emily and Benaniah, that's our son, go to my parents' house, which is like five-ish minutes that way. And as I was driving in tonight after um, going there and grabbing a bite of food, um, I was just really struck by, I don't know, all the memories of going to Thrive in the past. Specifically, there used to be this thing called Thrive at Five. Because if you want to gather before Thrive to pray, clearly six isn't early enough, 5.30 isn't early enough, five is the time you have to gather to pray. And um, I don't know why, this is just the way that we did things back then. Um, but it was just, I was just struck by like how much time we spent together when I first came. Um, because it would start at, I'd show up at like 4.45, 5 o'clock, and then um, I remember for a number of weeks, small groups didn't get over until like 11 o'clock at night. And it was just like, oh, like that's what, what am I trying to say? I was just struck by the faithfulness of God in that season and also the faithfulness of God um, to continue to this day. Um, like when God is doing things, people don't want to leave. When God is doing things, um, and God is always doing things, but there's just this desire to be together and to be where God is doing things. And um, all night tonight, I've just been really, um, I guess, struck by the faithfulness of God. So I just kind of wanted to start. Um, I had notes for tonight, and I have since thrown them all away. I had this um, nice blue pen that I've been using to scribble and change everything. So uh, I'm excited about that, and I'm excited with where tonight goes. And um, I'm going to turn my hat backwards, because that feels better. Okay, there we go. Um, and yeah, okay. Yeah, the faithfulness of God. Um, as we were singing that first song, and as we're preparing really for the 10th anniversary, um, just thinking about all the people that have gone through Thrive and all the lives that have been touched and all the um, people who've gotten up here just like Jace did and uh, shared a testimony about what God has done in their life. Not to just make Thrive great or anything, like Thrive's just a ministry, right? Um, we gather and we're super glad that we gather, but we're, ga we're glad that we gather with other young adults who love Jesus and want to see the kingdom of God built. Um, but Thrive's just a ministry, and really we're all about that other idea, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God advancing um, in our local communities and in our local churches. And that's just happened again and again and again over the last 10 years, and I've just been um, really struck by that. Um, I've been listening to this podcast that I'm not going to mention because it's not relevant, but it's caused me to reflect on the last 10 years and think about um, the different seasons of Thrive and the different ways that God has used events in people's lives and events in um, our culture and just things that happen to point people to him. And so um, Jay's talking about um, the prayer night and that just reminded me that th one of the things that's been a foundational point of Thrive is that we recognize that we don't have anything on our own, but God is the one who does everything. Um, and a verse that has been close to Michael's heart and my heart for a number of years has just been Second Chronicles 20, I believe that's what it is. Yes. When uh, they send out the worshipers in front of the army instead of fighting the battle with swords and stuff, um, because they're like, well, God, we don't know what to do. And so the kind of phrase in that is, maybe, Michael, do you remember the verse reference? Okay. It's in Second Chronicles 20 somewhere. But it says this phrase, um, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And that's just, um, as we go into this tonight, and as we talk about the cross, and as we talk about the gospel, um, I just want to stop and pause, remember the faithfulness of God, and remember that we don't always know what to do, but our eyes are on God, our eyes are on Jesus, our eyes are pointed towards him. So, yeah, with that, I'm going to pray, and then we can jump into other things.
Uh, God, thank you so much for your faithfulness. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for all that you have done and all that you are still doing. Um, Lord, it's easy to let the things that are happening in our world, the things that are happening in our own lives, um, to distract us, to discourage us, to be the things that we focus on. Um, And tonight, we want to put those things aside, God. Um, We want to submit them before you. And Lord, we want to be um, just available and awaiting whatever it is that you want to do, God. Um, Lord, I ask that you would watch out for our um, foolish tendencies and the things that draw us away from you. Um, Take those things out of our lives. Get rid of those distractions, God. And Lord, I pray that you would replace them with your heart, with um, your eyes, um, with your passions and your desire, Lord. Um, and Lord, I pray that we would never become just people who are all about doing and doing, doing the, the next thing, um, or even the good thing, God, but remind us to, in the midst of doing things, just pause and be with you. So to give you tonight, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, the first thing that I wanted to talk to tonight was this idea of the gospel. How many of you have ever heard of the gospel? Okay, so fairly familiar concept. Okay, that's good. That's good. Um, if you were to think of a passage in Scripture that explains the gospel, what passages of Scripture pop out to your brains? Are there any that pop out to your brains? I know for much of my own life, I was like, if you like read all the books that are literally called the gospel, like maybe those things say some things. But there was, there was never like this specific verse that um, encapsulated it for me. But there actually is one that's really helpful, so I'm going to read it. Um, It's in the book 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, Fun fact of the day, uh, once upon a time, Michael Patrusa and I went to um, the same church. And in fact, we went there for a number of years together, and we actually were on a Bible quizzing team for a few months together. Well, okay, let me explain it. When I joined, I was told that three of our friends are going to be on a Bible quizzing team and that we were also going to be on a Bible quizzing team. Um, So I did it. I don't know if Michael's ever actually told that. So my understanding of the situation was that he was going to be on the team. So if that's not true, I apologize. But I thought we were going to be on the same team. But the point of it is we are going to be learning this specific chapter, chapter, excuse me, book. We are going to be studying and memorizing 1 Corinthians. And so because of that, a bunch of the, we're going to hop around 1 Corinthians a little bit tonight too. Um, but a bunch of the Corinthian stuff is stuck in my head from that time. Okay. I'm going to just go ahead and read it. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 8. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of... For I I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Okay, let's pause there. So what did this just say? For I delivered to you as as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So Christ died, was buried, and was raised. This is the simplest and most efficient description of the gospel that I have found in scripture. Now maybe there are others, but this is the one that I keep coming back to as the one that is uh, the most concise. But why 
why is the gospel simple? Why does this? Um, why are these three ideas so important and so imperative for understanding um, what the gospel is? Well, I think there's a couple things we need to understand with that. Um, one is that why did Jesus have to die? Well, for that, I'm going to tell you a little story. How many of you are familiar with airports? Yeah, you're familiar with airports. Okay, so. Um, did any of you go to airports before 2001? And remember when you could go all the way out to the, uh, the thing? What is that called? All the way out to the gate. Maybe yes, maybe no? Okay, yes. So in, af after 2001, you could no longer accompany your siblings, your family, whoever it was, all the way out to the gate. You got stopped by something. Security. Now the thing about security is that they only let you pass security if you have proper documentation um, and if you have essentially all the right things that say that you're allowed to go past security to the airplane that's going to your destination. There are things that you're not allowed to do. There are things that you're not allowed to bring with you. In a similar fashion, humanity, our relationship with God, is broken. And there are things that cannot be with God. The things that I'm referring to is sin. So in one sense, Jesus had to die um, to take away that obstacle. He had to die to take away, I don't know if that's really to take away. I feel like my analogy is breaking down, so I'm just going to say it a little bit differently. Um, God cannot be with sin. And Jesus took away, took away that sin. But the way that he did it is that sin had to be dealt with, and that is why Jesus had to die. And I think the part of the gospel that's most important in this is that Jesus didn't just die, but he was raised to life again. And this provides us the ability to be reconciled to God. See, the gospel is simple. The gospel is simple in the, in the sense that God took our sin, Jesus took our sin, and we can be with God. And uh, this last couple of weeks at Thrive Kids App, we've been going through the book of Jonah. Um, and we were looking at, um, just in this last Monday specifically, we were looking at Ezekiel kind of to understand the character of God. And I want to share with you um, a passage from that. So in Ezekiel, where did it go? In Ezekiel chapter 33, I should have marked it a little bit better. Please hold while buffering happens. Please hold. Please hold. It was right here. I swear it's on this page. page? No, I cannot find it. Okay, so now you know that I am human and that um, I sometimes have an idea and I cannot find the idea. Hmm. Okay. Wow, I read it this afternoon. <laughs> Right? 
Okay. Okay. All right. Well, um, I'm not going to read that specific passage, apparently. Uh, apparently, that was not what I was supposed to read tonight. Um, but the whole idea there is um, that God doesn't delight in the death of the wicked, but that God cares for people. Um, yeah, I had 18 marked as well, but I thought 33 was there too. Man. Yeah. Yeah, 1832 says, For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord, so turn and live. Um, I'm going to have to get back to you after tonight about the 33 passage. I don't know what happened. But the whole idea there is that God doesn't delight in the death of the wicked, but rather God cares and desires that all would come to repentance and have reconciliation and restored relationship with him. And that is why Jesus had to come. God loves people more than you do. God loves people more than I do. And God really cares. Okay. So the gospel is simple. It's hard to live out, but the gospel is simple. Okay. Uh, the thing I really want to focus on tonight, though, is actually in Luke chapter 23. I want to take a little bit of time to pause and to look at the thief on the cross. Um, to just understand the ludicrousness of the gospel and the absurdity of the gospel. Um, and so, yeah, so Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 32. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is, the, that is called the skull, there they were crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. Then we're getting to the meat of it. One of the criminals who was hanged there railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he, being Jesus, said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now what I want to focus on on this passage is the fact that when it comes to salvation, there's nothing that we can do other than turning to God that gives us salvation. And I think the thief on the cross is the perfect analogy of that. Because there's two of them, right? And just like in the world, there are people who turn to Jesus and there are people who turn away. The, the cross, the thief on the cross, one of them turned to Jesus and yelled at him. Railed at him is what this translation says. Um, but the other thief looked at Jesus and said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me. He understood who Jesus was. And he understood that there was nothing that he can do. He was up there, receiving the due punishment of his sin. He didn't have any other options. He was going to be there till he died. And in desperation, he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And I think as we think about the gospel, there's an element that we have to stop and pause and recognize that we are all like that thief on the cross. There is nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. There is nothing that we can do to win our salvation. All we can do is just stand 
and turn to God, saying, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And that's why the gospel is simple. Just turn to Jesus. Remember me when you come into my king, when you come into your kingdom. But what's truly surprising about this is Jesus' response. Truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus affirms that this turning to me is all that is required. Now, as much as there is a parallel between us and the thief, in the sense that like, there's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation and to win our salvation, there's also a little bit of a difference. And the difference is that um, we know that we have a little bit more time than he did. Um, well, we're not guaranteed that. There's always crazy catastrophes that happen. But um, we have this moment. We're not presently being executed. So we have a little bit more responsibility to... Um, have the gospel saturate our lives so that we become more and more like Christ going forward, so that we become ambassadors for the kingdom of God everywhere that we go. But when it comes to a saving faith, all that is required is turning to Jesus. And the compassion of Jesus, I think, here is something that um, is truly remarkable. Because not only is he saying to the thief next to him, I say to you today, you'll be with me in paradise. But before that, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I think something that's important for us to do is to daily remind ourselves that this is the gospel. There's nothing we can do to earn it. There's nothing we can do to expand upon it. All we can do is receive it. I think it's also a challenge to share it with others, but all that we can do is receive it. But it's also kind of shocking. It's also kind of, um, kind of uncomfortable. People hear the gospel and they're like, wait, wait, that doesn't sound right. Like, what do I have to do? How do I get that? Um, going back to the whole 1 Corinthians thing, I want to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 to explain just how um, subversive the gospel is and how um, frustrating the gospel is to those who hear it sometimes. So 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of God is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. And I think that's what makes it so attractive, so beautiful. The fact that like, we can look at our lives, all the bad things that we've done, um, all the ways that we've um, just let our lives kind of scroll away, and yet God reaches out to us. God extends the olive branch. God extends peace and reconciliation. And the question is, will you respond to it? For the word of God, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. The disciples are a perfect example of that. They were, as scripture says, unlearned men. And then 1 Corinthians continues, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolishness the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. 
I really want to point out this next spot. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. I think as we look across the world, there's people who are either looking for the flashy big things or the very logical kind of thing. Now, it's not a perfect description of all people, but it's a good characterization. There are those who look for the flashy thing and there are those who look for logic. It's almost like the esoteric mysticism kind of crowd and the like pure science kind of crowd. They're like battling like, no, 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 it doesn't make sense. Like, no, come on, man, just like read it, study it, it makes sense. And God is like, and Paul says in 1 Corinthians here, but we preach Christ crucified, which is a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So as I think about the gospel and its simplicity tonight, and as we think about the thief on the cross, and as we think about sharing that, at Thrive Kits Up right now, this year, we kind of have a goal. And our whole goal this year is a simple phrase. Our, whole, our goal is to encourage people who go to Thrive to, I'm saying it so wrong. Man, we make these like catchy phrases, and then we go try to say them, it's like, and that's not what we're trying to say. Okay, try it again. Our goal this year is to equip young adults to reach their communities, the people that they see every day um, and throughout our week, with an invitation to be with Jesus. To share the gospel, essentially. But an invitation to be with Jesus, um, I think, captures better where our society is at right now. Because it's not a, here's a pamphlet and here's a couple of laws and here's like how you become a Christian. It's more like, will you be with Jesus? Will you turn to Jesus? Spend time with him. It's also a challenge to us. How do we go about thinking um, and spending time with God every day? Are we being with Jesus? Or are we checking off just knowledge facts about him? It's a challenge to me, for sure. But the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The gospel is subversive. The gospel is scandalous. And the gospel is simple. And it's for everyone. To those with much and for those with little. So I guess my big question tonight is, in what ways are you allowing the gospel to pervade your life? In what ways are you allowing Christ to challenge your um, understandings of what it means to be with him? Are you more like the foolish person who's like, no, I'm not, that's what I'm trying to say. Um, yeah. Do you feel more like the stumbling block or do you feel like, I don't know, I'm trying to say that. I'm going to ignore that. Yes. Jesus loves you and that is good. <laughs> cling to the gospel. Cling to simplicity. Stop trying to complicate it with more explanations. Okay, there we go. The Bible is good enough. I'm going to be done now. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your um, just compassion in your heart for all of us, God. Uh, Lord, thank you that when the tongue, my tongue gets in the way of my mouth, that um, <laughs> you take care of it, God. Um, that your word never returns void um, and that you care for people. Lord, open our eyes to the people in our lives that you want to um, speak to and that you want to uh, give an invitation to be with you.
Lord, we give you tonight, the rest of our week, help us to see your face. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.